If you're a boomer, wondering what to do with all this unstructured time on your hands? Well, join host Chuck Inman and Ron Hostry as they share with boomers how to be your best on your next journey by finding your passion, choosing your adventure, and igniting your activity. And now, stay tuned for The Adventures of Unstructured Time. Good morning, you're listening to The Adventures of Unstructured Time on 21.6 The Net. I'm Ron Hostery, and in the studio, your host... Chuck Inman. Chuck Inman, good to see you today. Hey, Ron, good to be here this morning. Looking forward to our show. Yeah, the whole purpose of the show, there are over 10,000 baby boomers retiring each day. And while many of them have planned their financial future with a financial planner, they've planned their estate planning with an estate planner... Very few of them have actually looked at what am I going to do with my time from the time I'm 65 till 85 or 90 to transition from being successful to being significant. And that's the whole purpose of the show, the adventure of unstructured time. Now, for you listening out there, there are actually three different ways to listen to this program. The first is on your computer at 216thenet.com. And hit the listen live. The other way is to download the 21.6 The Net app on either Apple or Google. The third way is if you happen to miss this show. If you had a doctor's appointment, if you had an adventure you were on and couldn't hear it, go to the website, 216thenet.com. Hit the previous podcast shows. And then select whatever show you missed. Click on it and you'll get the full treatment of this particular broadcast. So, Chuck, we all had adventures left within us. Each week we review a different aspect of how to be the best on our next journey. And tell me what the three things are that are part of every adventure. Well, Ron, it's, you know, we, we cover the different aspects of being the best on your next adventure. And we start off at number one, probably one of the most important, you know, find your passion, finding that sense of purpose. And then we talk about choosing your adventure. Which adventures do you want to go on to make your journey successful? And then finally, igniting your activity. What do you do to actually make it happen? And we've covered some of those in the past, but there's one thing that we're going to be talking about today that has an impact on igniting our activity, and those are default behaviors. And so we're going to be talking today on, you know, focusing on what are default behaviors, how do we deal with default behaviors, how do they affect our lives and goals, which is very important, and then how do we change those default behaviors, and how do we go about creating new habits and head us in the right direction. Now, default behaviors, that sounds pretty psychological, psychiatric, really deep kind of a thought. Give us an idea of what default behaviors are. All right. Well, and it's interesting. I was watching my grandson play his first soccer game, and he's five, so it's, you know, beginning soccer. And he gave a great example of a default behavior. He was standing, the other team was getting ready to throw the ball in, and he was standing in front of the person getting ready to throw the ball in. Uh, and the, the kid threw the ball in. He stuck his hand out, swatted the ball out of the air. And everyone going, no, no, you don't do that. You can't, don't use your hands to touch it. And maybe about three to five minutes later, almost the exact same situation. There's my grandson standing, you know, guarding the person, getting ready to throw the ball in. 
they throw the ball in, his other hand reaches up and swats the ball out of the air. And everybody's yelling at him, you know, don't use your He got so upset, he actually walked off the field. <laughs> and he said, I can't help it. And, you know, that's a default behavior that we have. And so one of the ways that we worked with him when we, when we got home is we had him stand and put both hands on his hips. And then we took the soccer ball and lightly tossed it where it bounced off his chest. We kept doing that. Our default behavior is protect ourselves. You know, reach up and swat that ball away. So we sat with him and about 20 times slowly just, you know, and gently tossing the ball onto his chest, letting it hit his chest while he had his hands on his hips. And that's the way we told him. Now in the game, when you guard the ball coming in, make sure your hands are on your hips and your hands don't go up when the ball comes in. You don't swat it down. And, and he got over that default behavior of swatting at the ball with his hands. And here he is out on the soccer field believing he's ambidextrous. Exactly. He's able to swat the ball <laughs> with whole, both hands. He's proud of that. And everyone's screaming at him that it's wrong. Right. You're not supposed to use your hands to hit the ball. <laughs> so, so just a classic example of how simple default behaviors are in our everyday life and what we see. Well, where else do we find it? You know, Ed, this was interesting. When I was preparing for the show, I got to thinking about, you know, where do you see evidence of default behaviors? And one of the classic things that came to me were golfers. You look at the tools that golfers have trying to get the perfect golf swing. And, Ron, I've got to admit, I'm as guilty as the next person. You know, because I've got, I've got specific tools that have helped me putting. They've helped me driving the ball off the tee. And I've even got a specific thing for, you know, the short game and using my irons. For the driving off the tee, I actually have a club that has a hinge on it. And if you, if you come all the way back with the proper arc and all the way forward, you can literally hit golf balls off the tee with this club. But if your arc isn't right, that hinge will collapse and the head of that club will just dangle. <laughs> you can't do anything <laughs> with it. But everything being perfect, you can go through and, and, and drive golf balls off the tee box with it. Which is just, it's amazing how, you know, so you use that trying to create that. And, and here's the ironic thing as I got to thinking about that. You know, as, as kids, we wind up playing the number one sport, you know, being baseball. You know, we play Little League, we play D League, you know, we play in school. And, and then, uh, you know, we play softball, intramural softball, City League, and you know, all those things in the summertime. And, and then we go to take up the game of golf. And we swing at the golf ball the same way we would a hardball or a softball. <laughs> and so we have to come up with all these tools that teach us that it's not all about the power of the swing, but it's having it in the correct arc and keeping the face head close and all of that. I even have one of the irons where it's got a grip, but the, the portion of the grip slides up and down the club, and it keeps you going and focused in the right range with it. And then putting, I've got all sorts of different putting things that you use to help you with direct putts. And it's, it's almost ridiculous the things that have. And I, I love the, you know, some of the shows that they talk about with, you know, just when, when golfers get the ips, you know, and it's just then they can't, they can't putt, they can't do anything. And they get so, um, th they try and, you know, come up with habits and different things to get them out of those default behaviors that are taking their golf game down the, the wrong road. And it's just, it's just classic to watch. But that's, in reality, that's where they have a lot of problems <laughs> with default behaviors. You know, I, I looked at with that club that you talked about that had the little hinge in the middle uh -huh. of it. I could not use it because of the fear that on my backswing, that thing had pulled <laughs> over and smacked me right in the head. Exactly. And uh, so I never wanted to get 
to where I was proficient with that because I didn't have a helmet to put on to practice with. <laughs> but those are those are all things that we and, and part of the reason that we have default behavior a lot of times. But but the default part of that behavior is that we tend to whatever wherever we learned to to grab the club and swing the club and do everything, whatever our predisposition was, we carry that through no matter what the facts tell us. Right. You know, and we spent, you know, we spent summers and hours and hours learning how to hit a softball, learning how to hit a baseball, you know, how to grip the bat and swing with all your might to hit a home run. And then you try and do that to a golf ball. <laughs> it doesn't work the same way. Your ball just goes farther out of bounds when you do that. <laughs> well, we had a kid in Little League that I knew he's going to be a landscaper because he's out in left field. All he did is pick weeds. <laughs> Ball could come hit him in the back while he was bent over playing with the grass, <laughs> and it wouldn't have made a, a difference. Exactly. But you know, but in everyday life, you know, we don't have to go to the golf course to run into oh, the default behaviors. You know, look at spontaneous buying decisions. I mean, grocers know that. That sounds like a psychological term. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you suffer from spontaneous buying decisions. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, and it's that irrational moment of self-gratification. It's like, oh, I need a Kit Kat. <laughs> or, you know, and they know exactly what products are, are there. You know, the candy, the gum, the instant gratification that satisfies an emotional need real quickly. And it was, and they, and if they, you know, they understand what it does to adults. They definitely understand what it does for children. I mean, my gosh, when my daughters were young, I'd have to talk to them ahead of time. Girls, when we're checking out, we're not buying candy. We're not buying, so no screaming, no upset. Just telling you right now, we're not doing that. <laughs> it didn't always work. They'd still have their tizzy fits because it's these, oh, but dad, these are chewable necklaces. And I'm like, right, you chew those, they get all over your clothes. <laughs> but you know, they'd have to have it. And you know, it'd always be a battle on, you know, no, we're not doing that spontaneous gratification but look at one of the biggest companies in the world right now amazon mm -hmm. they are based on spontaneous gratification exactly if you look up something on your computer guess what you'll see an ad for that you know 20 seconds later yeah you know on sale now with free shipping <laughs> <laughs> well it was really interesting when that alexa product came out you know the voice command for amazon right where you tell it, turn on your tv it's kind of like watching the Jetsons, right? Where they told the robot to do everything. Well, what they found was kids were watching Saturday morning car cartoons, and they would say, "Oh, I want the Johnny Johnny Bounce House, Johnny Johnny Bounce." And three or four days later, one showed up at the door because Alexa was ordering it through Amazon, and, and picked up on it. And the parents are starting <laughs> to get these. Where did that toy come from? And they start seeing it on their credit card statements. And Amazon had to go fix that part of the program <laughs> so that people weren't having conversations in their living room ordering stuff <laughs> off at Amazon. Oh, man. Now, that's that's not a, a spontaneous decision because you didn't know you were buying it. Right. But the fact is, is that we do make spontaneous decisions based on a default behavior, uh, behaviors that we learned as kids. Mm -hmm. That when we went to the store, we got certain items. Right. And that's all part of what a spontaneous behavior is. And the reason we're going into this is later on in the program, we're going to be talking about how some of these that have been through our career and everything else are inhibiting a baby boomer from ex 
and experience in the best part of the next part of his journey. Right. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, when we look at default behaviors, there's a portion of that that we have to realize there's a reason for default behaviors. It's part of the brain's way of working and keeping us alive. You know, like the example I use with my grandson, you know, putting your arm up. I mean, that's a part of that brain. You know, we've talked about before about that amygdala. It's like, make sure that that soccer ball doesn't hit you in the face or, you know, make sure it doesn't, you know, hit you. And so you have instant reflexes that do some things also. And so there's a, there's a, uh, you know, from a brain perspective on keeping you alive, we find ourselves doing some things. And even though our environment changes quite a bit, there's some things that just come to us almost automatically, a default behaviors that we have to correct. I mean, you have, don't, don't you have a default behavior with a store called Brahms, right? <laughs> <laughs> when you go to get milk? Yes. Uh, what I found was Brahms has very good milk. And for those of you that are listening all over the country and all over the world, Brahms is a store that their headquarters is in Oklahoma. They don't ship more than 500 mile radius from their headquarters. They want everything to be fresh. They have milk. They have ice cream. They have a uh, little hamburger stand in there, the whole thing. Every time I go there to buy milk, for some reason, I always come out with a waffle cone <laughs> full of soft yogurt. <laughs> and that's a default behavior. I, every time I go, I do the same thing. In fact, it got to be such a mo- so much of a habit. When my wife went with me, I took her up to the cashier and I said, would you explain the store policy to my wife because she doesn't believe it? That when a wife sends a husband to get milk, that he has to buy an ice cream cone before he'll sell him the milk. (laughs) (laughs) And she played along and my wife (laughs) shook her head, which is basically a default behavior she has for all of my humor. (laughs) Right. But but do you also sense that that the waffle cone and the yogurt, the soft yogurt, that's a reward for you also? Which can be lead to um, the default behavior, rewarding yourself. And is it directly in conflict with everything I told myself I was going to do? <laughs> that, it's amazing how that happens with the best of intentions. Like, you know, if we're trying to lose weight or something, you know, we still, if there, you know, there's that waffle cone I have to reward myself with. Well, d- tell me why that happens uh, uh, as far as self-gratification and what kind of behavior is that? Well, I'll, I'll give I'll give you an example, and then we'll walk through it, which is interesting. When uh, when the, the girls were real young, and we were getting ready to, uh, we said, well, I guess we need an SUV now with the car seats and everything else. And so we made a list of what we wanted from an SUV, and we looked at gas mileage, which was key because gas was pretty expensive back in the day, and and we looked at roominess, and you know how many doors, how many seats, how many you know square foot for luggage and back rooms for, you know, the back for all sorts of different things. And, and we, we had had this whole list of what we wanted. We looked at three different models and we had calculated everything down on each one, which was best. And, and when it came down to the final, I said, well, it looks like this one in the middle has all the criteria that we need, you know, for a good SUV. And my wife goes, yeah, but this one's red. <laughs> you know, and it satisfies that emotional need, you know, of just color. The red one makes me feel good, even though the other one had better gas mileage, more square footage for storage, everything else. Yeah, but this one's red. <laughs> so. Well, that goes back to, to default behaviors and everything from a standpoint that when I drive down the street, I always used to stop at fast food places. It didn't matter if I was going on a 30-minute trip or 50-minute trip or an hour trip, for some reason, 
I had to justify stopping and getting a taco at Taco Bell or, or something else. And that was a default behavior. Mm-hmm. It was just something I did when I was in the company. When I'd go out to do sales calls, every once in a while I might stop by a, a place like that if I was uh, 45 minutes early to an appointment or something. So one of you, it, if I carried that forward with you buying the SUV, you would measure from the ground to the window to make sure it wasn't too high to drive up to the drive up window <laughs> and make the decision on buying that red car. Exactly. <laughs> and the, but, you know, but after a while, those are the times that start to become habits. You know, we start to do those long enough. And all of a sudden, so you go into Brahms and it's like not only the milk, but then the habit that's not so much a default behavior now. Now it's a habit of, of buying the yogurt and the waffle cone with it at the same time. Or, like you said, even when you're out and about, you know, stopping at fast food. And, and I know a lot of times when I was in sales, I covered a big territory. I had, I had Montana, Wyoming, you know, parts of Idaho. <laughs> and there weren't a whole lot of restrooms in between a lot of those places. So you always <laughs> knew, you know, the fast food places would have a restroom. Yeah. So while you're there, it's like, well, I need to, you know, grab a, grab a soda or, you know, grab something to snack on and eat at the same time. So. Well, I can convince myself, well, I use the free restroom. And I ought to get something just so they they don't think I'm freeloading. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's pretty interesting how that happens. Well, t- tell me how default behaviors interfere with one of the elements of our program of igniting your activity. You know, and and it's fascinating because we we talk about our our goals and and our dreams and you know and we always talk about you know dream big because it's free it doesn't cost anything to dream big but then you start whittling down when you start writing down your goals what is it that I want to accomplish you know it, it's those are goals based upon your values and so you can have big dreams but if they're not based on your value you don't have to worry about it you can let those dreams go but start to focus on the things that are going to mean something for you so I'm going to give example, and I know I'm going to be hearing moans and groans about it, and I even moan and groan about it too, but, you know, losing weight. And if losing weight was easy, everybody would be losing weight. You wouldn't see half the commercials that you see on television <laughs> or hear on the radio for losing weight. You know, but to be honest with you, we all struggle with losing weight. It's not easy. And because part of it is, if you think about one of the default behaviors, if we don't eat, we don't stay alive. <laughs> That's a very brutal aspect of, you know, the default behavior there. You've got to eat to survive. But we don't always have to eat as much as we eat to get to that point. Well, that brings us to a big conflict. Because what we were talking about previously is instant gratification. Right. There is no instant gratification in losing weight. It, it is a long process. It's very, it's very easy to put the weight on. But where does the gratification come from of denying yourself everything that you so, think you should be eating to, to its comfort food and not seeing the scale move? Right. You know, you, you never heard of a comfort scale, have you? <laughs> no one's invented that yet. There may be some before that. But, but it's interesting when we look at the, the instant gratification side. It can take us up to, you know, it may have taken us eight years, you know, 15 years, 20 years to put on the extra weight. And yet we want to see that dropping off in the first week we start to exercise <laughs> and start to diet, you know, and the weight doesn't come off that easy. So, you know, so... One of the ways that we, we take a look at a, at a goal like this, and I think everyone can, can pretty much relate to this, we've all gone on a diet of some time over the years, 
And, and you, we start off by looking at, you know, so what are some of the benefits? You know, and I think, I think we've all kind of looked at that. Well, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to look better. You know, I'm going to feel better. I'm going to have a little bit more energy. I'm going to be more productive. You know, I'm going to be more positive with things. And I think those are realistic things that are very positive from, you know, from losing weight. And, you know, that's pretty positive, right? You know, that's real positive. But one of the problems is, is I lose three pounds. And I think, man, I got this down. I can I can get an ice cream into this thing now, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and you start to edge right back. There there's a default behavior that seems to be a sabotage de- behavior. Right. That for whatever reason, when we start making progress towards something, we become afraid. Right. Yep. And and it's interesting because sometimes it it pays to look at what are the consequences of not doing this. And I think that kind of helps you, you know, when you have those. But they also talk about with, you know, with losing weight to give yourself some relief, like make it a, you know, Saturday can be a, a day that you can kind of splurge on what you want to splurge on, you know, within the proper within realm. reason. Within because re- I can put six pounds on on Saturday after <laughs> I lost four pounds. <laughs> exactly. Well, th- talk about that. I mean, I could tell myself, okay, I'm going to g- lose weight. I'm going to start this week. And in that first week, gain three pounds, just preparing to start to lose weight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but think about, you know, okay, so what are the consequences of not losing the weight? And sometimes that has a little bit more of an impactful aspect than, than the aspect of, you know, the benefits of it. So, you know, so you, you may have low energy. You may have some negative health risks by not losing the weight. You know, you may have a nagging partner saying, hey, I thought you were going to lose some weight. You haven't done it yet. <laughs> you know, you're, you know, you've got your own negative self-talk going, man, I just, you know, you step into an elevator and it's got the mirror, you know, the mirrors on the doors when it closes. You're going, I can't believe that's how I look right now. You know, and it's just, it's just negative. Like, oh man, I need to do something. And that negative self-talk going, or your clothes don't fit right. You know, you're going, you know, and that's one of the things I've always done. I said, here's here's the, the biggest waistband I'll ever own, and I'll never go bigger than that because when it starts to get tight bigger, I said, i got to lose weight. I'm not going to buy anything wider and bigger <laughs> than that size of, of pants. So, Well, you, you know, I, I wear a 32 waist, but a 40 feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then and then there's the, the low self-esteem that you get with that. And so... You know, and, and so you look at some of those things, and those can have a little bit more of a, a positive reinforcement for why you want to lose weight and why losing weight should be important to you as, as we make that happen. And so from previous shows, we talk about, you know, being able to visualize our goals and, and the results that we have. And so one of the things that, you know, talking about if you want to visualize losing weight, stand in front of a mirror. Say, what would I look like if I lost five pounds, if I lost 10 pounds? What would I look like? And you can start to visualize that and put that in your mind for a frame of reference. And it has a very positive effect on you. You know, and when you're in the grocery store, walk over the hamburger section and say, this is what five pounds of hamburger looks like. That's if I lost that, that would be God for my body. I mean, that's that has a pretty good effect on on what happens to you. I was over in the dog food section saying, well, this is what 50 pounds of dog food looks like. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, and, and I think one of the other things that we sometimes we don't realize is, you know, we're getting ready. We're talking about adventures, talking about journeys. 
But one of the things that, that can be very important for us is that, hey, if I lose that weight, if I have the extra energy, if I have myself feeling good about what I do, that's going to be better beneficial for your next adventure, which is really good. Well, that, that brings us to the things, vision, having a good vision of what you want for results is a good thing. Right. Okay. It, it helps keep it top of mind. Right. That when you go into the store, if you could quickly think about, okay, well, this is what I'm working toward. Does this help me to get to that? Right. Which really becomes using some of the tools. The vision is one of the tools you use. But what are some of the other tools that you would use to be able to, to plan what this next portion of your life is going to look like? Well, and, and one, of the, one of the tools that I use very, very effectively is skinny cow dairy products. Their ice cream is incredible. <laughs> but the, uh, you know, don't buy regular ice cream. Buy, buy, buy skinny cow ice cream that has, you know, less calories on it. Do you it. know if, for, if a, treat, for treat a cattle rancher that just that, doesn't work? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound good. But when we talk about tools sometimes, it's, I've got a, a, when my oldest daughter was about six or seven years old, we were at the park one day, and, and I'd, I'd taken a book with me, and I was sitting there reading, and she had her butterfly net, and she had a, a little thing to put the butterflies in that she'd catch, and, and she was racing up and down in this field catching these butterflies and putting them in this little thing, and, and she said, Dad, she goes, I've caught a lot of butterflies. And she goes, this has been a lot of fun. But I noticed down by the pond, there's minnows down there. And when I try and catch them, she goes, they kind of move out a little bit. But is it okay if I try and, you know, if I can catch some? I said, that's fine, sweetie. I mean, just go see what you can do. I said, just don't get in the water because we don't know how deep it is. It's, you know, we don't know if there's broken glass in there or anything else. So she goes, okay. So she goes down the edge and, and I watch her for about 10, 15 minutes. She's walking up and down the bank and she'd lean out and the fish would go a little bit farther. You know, she'd lean out and she'd go, run. dad, you sure I can't take off my shoes and socks? Cause I, I know I could get them if I get, I said, no, we're not taking off your shoes and socks. I said, but think about what else can you do? Cause you've been doing this for a little bit of time and you haven't caught a fish. So what do you think you need to do to make a, that happen? She goes, I still think if I take off my shoes and socks. <laughs> I said, no. But I said, what if we make a longer handle? How would, you know, what if that, would that help? Because they seem to be just out of range. She goes, that may help. I said, you go find a stick. I'll go back to the car. I think if there's some duct tape in the, uh, tape in the trunk. So I went and got the duct tape, and she went and found a stick. And, and I, I taped the stick onto her handle of her butterfly net. And she went out. She started catching minnows. She was, I mean, she was just clapping her head. She was just giggling like crazy, just catching those. And then she came back. She goes, Dad, there's a spot over here where there's a big fish. And every time I go over there, the big fish is there, and then it dives into the moss. But she goes, could you help me catch it? I said, okay. So we walked over, and it was where a bluegill had, had been making a nest. So we sat real quietly, and the bluegill came out and was right in the middle of the nest. You could see it with its tail, you know, kind of fanning the nest. And I said, okay, we're going to set your nest or your net right in the middle of the nest. And so, you know, she stood up, and, of course, the bluegill darted into the, into the algae and the moss, and, and we put her net right on the bottom of, of that. And I said, now, when the bluegill comes back, all you have to do is lift your net straight up. And so we sat there very quietly and cautiously, and sure enough, here comes the bluegill back out right over the nest and right over her net. And she lifted that net straight up and caught, like, this, you know, seven-inch bluegill, and actually had a, had the opportunity to take a picture of it, you know, with her and the bluegill, and you know, and then we let it go, 
but shared with her the story. I said, you know, sometimes when you keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, you've got to change how you utilize your tools. And we made her tool more effectively by adding the length onto the handle. So think about, you know, the number of tools that we use that we don't always use effectively, and we need to change them up a little bit for they meet our need and our purpose. Well, I've got to tell you, Chuck, I'm proud of you. As a truck owner in Texas, you are properly equipped with duct tape in your truck. <laughs> that, that's the number one rule down there. <laughs> exactly. You can do lots of things with duct tape. I you know, when you. we started it uh, with a ranch of clearing the woods and cutting trees and everything, uh, the top branches were really hard to get to. After about two, two and a half years of running my brother up in a bucket on a tractor with a chainsaw, I saw a pole saw. And this is a 12-inch chainsaw blade on the end of a pole that goes up 11 feet. And that's my favorite tool on a ranch now. Right. Because I can get just about 90% of what needs to be cut and trimmed away from fence lines and everything using that particular piece of equipment. Prior to that, we were using the wrong pieces of equipment and, and doing a makeshift type of a uh, attempt to get the wood cleared. Right. And that, that was using the wrong tools. But talk about some of the tools that we've learned in our careers that are ineffective, that were are hindering us now, that are default behaviors. You know, it was interesting when, when I talked. Chuck, I'm going to have you hold for a second before we get into that thought, because you're listening to 21.6 of the net with the adventures of unstructured time. And there's three ways to listen to us. First is on the computer at 216thenet.com and hit the listen live. The second way is to make sure you download the app on your phone, either from Apple or Google, and you just push that button. And when you're on your mobile device, you can listen to the station. And the third way is that if you missed this show, you can go to the section that says uh, uh, past show podcasts, click on that and select which show you want to listen to and have the uh, adventures of unstructured time immediately at your fingertips wherever you go. Now, Chuck, if people want to get a hold of you, and get more information about this series that we're on, how would they do that? One of the best ways is go to adventurejerky.com. And Adventure Jerky will you know, tell you what we've been up to, what shows we've been working with, and, and uh, it's a great source of information. Great, and there's also an opportunity to blog your adventures on it exactly. for people that are starting to make that transition of what they're doing, some of the exciting things that they're getting into they did never thought about participating in when they were in a career. Exactly. We'd love to hear from you. You know, what is it that you're up to? You know, what are you doing and, and how effective are you being with it? So give it you know, take some time and enter our blog contest. We pick a winner every month. So now, because we are on structured time and an unstructured time discussion, <laughs> let's go back to the, the tools that we learned in our careers that are hindering us from living the next part of our life as the best part of our life. Well, it was it was interesting in, in the training arena uh, where we were doing training with our salespeople on listening skills. And we had a group of divisional managers in for training. 
and we were, had a section on listening skills. And, of course, we got the moans and groans. Like, we don't need listening skills. We're talking to our reps during the week. We've got special full days on Fridays where we talk to them all day long. We don't need listening skills. We said, well, just, you know, imbibe with us. And <laughs> go, go along <laughs> with this. And we started off on, you know, you have to find out information about this person sitting across the table from you. And the person sitting across the table, their instructions were only give them one or two sentences. Have them actually work and, and have a, a goal or something that you're working on. And then this divisional sales manager has to find out what it is that you're working on, why that goal is important to you. And, and these reps are going, oh, good gracious. You know, we, we really have to go through this. And when we first started, it was like the first 30 seconds are asking questions. And then the room just got quiet. But but the default behavior was, we've been selling. We've been doing it this way. Right. And so I don't need to listen to you. Because we already listen all the time. Yeah. We listen to our customers. But, but they're in a behavior, almost a pattern of how they go out and approach their customers, it, irrespective of the new circumstances that you're in. Exactly. And after the first time of walking them through this and where it got silent, I said, all right, stop. Do you guys realize what you're doing? And they're going, well, I didn't know what to ask the second question. And it's because you didn't pay attention to what they told you in the first couple of sentences. And that's the, that's the flaw that we have. Our default behavior when we're talking with somebody is we wait for them to pause and then we jump in with our perspective, with what we want to share with them. We could care less what they're telling us, but boy, if we get a chance to speak, then we jump in and do that. And with an exercise like this, you actually had to listen very carefully to what the person was saying. You know, they might say, well, my goal is I want to be able to, you know, raise organic foods. Well, if you're not listening to that, you know, your next question, but you know, why, why organic foods? Why are you interested in that? But you've got to be paying attention or else the conversation doesn't go anywhere. And what we were finding out, the conversations weren't going anywhere. So then we restarted the group, making sure people are paying attention. And all of a sudden they would carry out those conversations for three to five minutes, finding out the information. And the, the divisional managers were just, my God, all of my salespeople need to go through this exercise. <laughs> And, and it is. And you watch when you, when you talk with other people, watch what happens. The, as soon as you pause, someone will jump in. And it's interesting. There are people who are so worried about stopping and someone jumping in. They, they keep talking. They're afraid to stop talking because they're going to lose their spot. <laughs> they just, and you go, how can you breathe and keep talking that long? And it, but those are default behaviors that we have. We, we don't listen to understand. We listen to jump in and give our perspective. Well, some of those default behaviors are also how we have learned to deal with uncomfortable situations. Right. For instance, when I bought the company, I went out on sales calls with the reps. And there was one rep. I, said, I just hit him cold. I said, hey, I'm going to ride with you today. We're going to go out and see these customers. I handed him a list of customers. And we got in the car, and I sat there, and he was driving, and we followed his hood ornament, and he couldn't find half the customers that were on the list because he had a default route that he went on to. And after a while, I realized we're not being represented. <laughs> They're doing business with a factory because the factory's treating them so well. They're always calling the factory. 
and he's not servicing or selling to the customers. Right. And so he had developed a pattern of avoiding uncomfortable situations. Now we're talking about a group of people now that are transitioning from a, a regimented defaulted schedule of being in a corporation, being in a business, owning their own business, whatever it is they do, there's a regiment and a structure to it that will necessarily not work in the new circumstances that they're in because they don't have that organization anymore. Right. So is that what we're talking about? Is that, that we've built regiments into our life that will no longer be effective and create actually an inhibit, uh, inhibit us from searching to find the passion, inhibit us from choosing an adventure, and inhibit us from igniting action to go forward with that adventure because we learn how to avoid new things. Right. And, and that's part of being significant when, you know, you part of the significance is having an impact on others, especially a positive impact on others. That's a whole different shift than, than focusing on, on just being successful. And so you have to apply some different things to make that happen. You know, it was interesting when we had, we had a young sales force where we had a new product line coming out and, and these sales reps would show, you'd go work with them and they would start talking with the doctor and they'd ask the doctor a question. The doctor would, would answer them. And as soon as the doctor stopped, they were going on with features and benefits. And we used to call it, you know, the sales force, the group that showed up and throwed up. <laughs> I mean, they just, they were talking about all their products. And, and it's like, you know, if you stop and listen, the doctor's telling you something. He's telling you what, what he needs or what she needs. You know, if you can listen, don't worry about the next thing you're going to say about your product. Wait and see what they're dealing with and how they're handling the situations and then see if your product can work from there. And it was quite a learning experience for these reps because it was like, well, I know all this, inf all this stuff. Everything that doctor needs to know is in this brochure. And it's like, then the doctor's not going to sit there and wait for you to tell them everything right. that's in your brochure. They can read that if they want to. But, but it was the interesting, the default behavior was silence was bad. And the reps felt like their default behavior, they had to feel that silence with, you know, more information. And sometimes that was the exact wrong thing to be doing. Yeah, basically in radio, though, you dead air is not, <laughs> is not exactly. good. You know, you mentioned that, and it took me back to an example you used a little bit earlier about going in and selling to someone. They say, well, we're really into organic food products. And, and maybe having the salesman not even listen to the answer and say, let me tell you about our GMO products that right. bring you a much higher yield of the crop that's in your field. Right. And because they are in a default pattern to do that. Right. Now, a person's left a corporation, they're home, they have unstructured time, they haven't filled that up. What's the tendency of a person to do that? Do they sit and and build new routines that fill that time without a sense of purpose or passion? Let me, let me give you an example. And this just happened last week. I went to get my eyes checked at an optometrist's office, and, and the optometrist was telling me that her, her dad had retired and was at home. He'd gotten, he and his, her mom had gotten divorced. So he was at home, and she goes, every day at, at noon, he'll you know start drinking beer with lunch, and he sits on the couch watching television, drinking beer. And she goes, I'm afraid that's what he's going to do in retirement. 
And so she tells you this story at, because I shared with her what I was doing after I had retired and uh, writing the book and the, the guidebook. So then I went out with the technician who we were picking out frames and so, and she's telling me about her dad who had retired and he was at home doing almost the exact same thing, you know, of watching television all afternoon long and drinking beer. And it's like, goodness gracious, that's, you can see a pattern with that. And so part of that is like when we talked about, you know, finding our passion and looking at the significance and having a positive impact on someone, if you start very simple with, you know, I want to make an impact on someone, I want to make it positive, then you start looking at, okay, so which one of my passions are going to help me move in that direction? How do I, you know, work on that passion and write some goals down in that direction? And then it's like, you know, how do I pick the adventure I want to go on? And again, not all adventures have to be epic, but then you figure, here's the adventure I want to go on and then ignite your activity to make that happen. Well, when you go to that path, Maybe sometimes you just look at the fact that I'm going to try something different. Right. It may work. It may not work. Right. But the to resign myself to the situation that this is a good as, as good as it's going to get. I can't do anything different. So I'm going to fall back on my instant self-gratification. Right. Of drinking a beer, watching a TV and go forward, that becomes a uh, death spiral, doesn't it? Right. Yeah, it becomes a, a pattern of behavior that's not healthy. Which is a default pattern of behavior that then affects all other aspects of your life, your social network, and and whoever you run into. Right. And, and what's interesting, you know, if we think it's easy to do some of the stuff, it's not easy. And and I'll, I'll give you an example. This this happened to me when, when I was downsizing. I had, a, I had a nice house on two and a half acres, and I'm going, I don't need this big a house. I don't need this much property. And so I, I put it on the market to sell. And I had a realtor I was working with, and we had an offer on the house. Negotiations, just the bottom fell out on negotiations and lost the house. I wasn't real happy with the realtor. I didn't know what I was going to do. And at the end of the 90 days, I said, well, you know, I'm just going to let the listing run out. And it ran out at midnight on a Sunday. So the Monday morning, I'm sitting at my desk, and it's about 8 o'clock, and I'm going, oh, man, what am I going to do now? And the phone rings, and I pick up the phone. I said, hello? I said, Mr. Inman, my name's Paul Ticello. I'm a realtor here in the area. I've been selling houses for the last 20 years, you know, right here in your market. And I noticed that your house came off the listing at midnight last night. And he said, I was just calling to see you. You know, if you'd sold your house or if you decided you're going to lease it, are you going to put it back up on the market? And I said, well, Mr. Ticello, I said, I'm sitting here at my desk wondering exactly what I'm going to do myself. And he said, well, first things first, call me Paul. <laughs> I said, okay. And uh, he said, so are, are you thinking of considering putting it back on the market? I said, I might. He said, how about if I take a look at some of the comps in the area and come over this afternoon and sit down and show you what some other houses have sold for that are similar to yours and your property. And let's take a look and see if you want to sell it, what we can do to get it sold. He said, would you be up for that? I said, sure. He came over that afternoon. We took a look at the comps and everything, and we came up with the sales price. That He said, you know, if you want to get it sold in the next 90 days, he said, here's where we want to be, and here's you know, how we'll make it happen. And I said, okay. And we got it, got it listed with him. We put the house on the market, and we wound up selling it. Not that afternoon. It took a little bit longer <laughs> than that. But 
over the next 60 days, I think it's sold within 60 days, but the next 60, 90 days, I got in the mail, I got postcards, I got letters, I got brochures, I got boxes with pins, and I don't, I don't have to have another pin or refrigerator magnet at all. <laughs> realtors, and I started saving these for Paul, and and I had over seventy, I think it was seventy-three examples that I had in a box for him that I took to him, and that's not even counting emails and stuff that I got from from other people, but of the seventy so. so mail items that I received, guess how many phone calls I got, Ron? One. One from Paul. That one phone call that he made at 8 o'clock on a Monday morning earned him over $30,000. And if we realize that we can make $30,000 by picking up the phone, why don't we do it? Because it's a default behavior. The default behavior, I'll send him a postcard. I'll send him a nice little box that tells about all the things we can do for him. You know, I'll even send him a pen, you know, where he can write some things down on what we can do. For, you know, refrigerator magnet. Well, he'll, he'll remember who I am. <laughs> and yet he picked up the phone and called me, that one-on-one. And, you know, how easy is that? It's not easy to do. I but, mean, but he broke a pattern exactly of what every if he worked in any other real estate ad office they would have had a pattern for him to do he became successful in a transition because he broke the pattern exactly you know you mentioned refrigerator magnets with all the refrigerators and electronics are in them today i think if you put most of those magnets on your refrigerator it would deprogram your ice maker i think <laughs> you're right there i think that would truly happen but, you know, and, and one of the default behaviors that we have that can literally get us into trouble or not let us be as effective as we want to be is procrastination. I mean, it's so easy to procrastinate. You know, it's like, well, okay, I'm going <clears> to <throat> I'm going to set about, you know, losing weight. And, you know, the first week you say, well, okay. why don't we talk about that later? Okay. Procrastination. <laughs> but that's the way it goes and sometimes we procrastinate because it it soothes the amygdala the the amygdala is going okay i don't have to worry about that right now we'll postpone that for a little bit and make that happen and so one of the things about uh procrastination it's it's again it's another form of self-gratification it's like oh i'll do that tomorrow because tomorrow will be a better time for some reason you know, no, you know, and you always wonder why is that better reason, you know, tomorrow than today. It's like they say, don't put off today what you can put off tomorrow. But don't, isn't fear a part of procrastination? Exactly. Uh, tell me about it. because when people go through transitions, what's one of the things that they fear the most? Well, there's there's a couple of things that happen when you take a look at behaviors and how people behave. People they either there's the fear of failure. Mm-hmm. which is a big one, but people are motivated. They either m- move towards pleasure or they move away from pain. So if they think something's going to be painful, like picking up the phone and calling somebody, if that's going to be painful, then they'll procrastinate and put that fear off until tomorrow. Well, I'll call that person tomorrow. And then they eventually said, well, I'll just send them a postcard or send them an email, and they don't make the call. But I think in, in talking to the age group we're talking to, that the fear of loss keeps people from doing things exactly that the fear of losing something will keep them from taking a risk that may gain them everything and i'm not talking about get rich quick schemes right but i'm talking about 
putting it in perspective that you've got 25 years and people say, oh, well, I can't do this because in 20 years, my financial planner said I might be out of money. Well, maybe if you go ahead and start implementing your passions and your desires, that you, you're going to be looked at as a lot more valuable to someone and might actually have a new direction that will more than offset any fear that you have of, of losing something. Exactly. And, and I think another thing that's interesting with that point you just made is we don't do anything assuming that the world's not going to change around us. Right. And yet the world does change around us. It changes daily. It's, you know, it happens so quickly. You know, it just, it, it happens quickly and you have to be aware of those changes. You can't make the assumption, well, if I don't do anything, I'm going to be okay. That's one of the worst decisions you can do is not making any decisions. Well, you're with the National Speaker Association, professional speaker. What do you see people that have default behaviors doing and what are the people that are, that are growing doing? Well, what what's interesting, because I... When I was in the corporate world, I would get up in front of a group. I'd you know, speak in front of 1,500, 2,000 people and uh, you know, with PowerPoint presentations and so forth, could do that very, very easily. And then when it came time to become a speaker, after I retired from the corporate world, I, I had a coach, Vince Pacente, who was an Olympic skier, just a great guy, great coach. He said, hey, go give 60 speeches and then come back and we'll do, we'll do some more talking. And I'm going, but I've done all that. He said, go give 60 speeches. You know, go to Rotary Clubs, go to Chamber of Commerce. And Well, I started doing that, and then I started recording my presentations. And I realized that, you know, if I didn't know the material well, my eyes, I'd start blinking, and my eyes would go to the left because I'd be thinking about what I was going to be saying next instead of actually knowing what was coming up. I was trying to anticipate what was coming up. I'd start licking my lips. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, I'm going, oh, my God. And these were all default behaviors that came out. And then you go from not using PowerPoint to telling stories. It's just, it's a whole, talk about uncomfortable. I mean, it's a whole paradigm shift that, you know, you've got to get into on becoming a keynote speaker. But, so, it, you know. but you improve by doing exactly. that. Exactly. You make right. major, major gains. You know, I'm happen. sitting here very self-conscious. Am I looking left? Am I licking <laughs> my lips? <laughs> From that standpoint. Well, you know, and, and one of the things, too, when we, when we talk about some of this, we thought, you know, it's like, you know, that instant gratification, but also, um, you know, if instant results. If you got fat, the instant you ate ice cream, you probably wouldn't eat it. Or if you got cancer, the instant that you smoked a cigarette, you probably wouldn't smoke a cigarette. And so, you know, as a, as a kid, as we learn, you know, you touch a hot stove, that's, that's instant recognition. You don't do that again, <laughs> you know. And so we have to be aware of some of those things. You know, when, when I decided I was going to lose 10 pounds, just because I talked about it in my book and I wanted to lose 10 pounds. And I said, okay, what are the things that I need to do? Can I follow my own direction and make that happen? And I wound up losing 15 pounds and felt real good about it and making that happen. And so... You know, if, if you look so many times, it's so easy. Our world gets so fast and we get moving so quickly. You know, our default behaviors, we try and soothe the amygdala. And some of the ways that we do that is we distract ourselves with email, with social media, you know, with mindless surfing on the net. You know, those are all things that we do quickly. And instead of focusing on the things that could actually have an impact on others and have an impact on change in our life. 
Well, basically what you're saying is we accept a lower standard of performance for ourselves. Right. And with lower expectations, we then feel unfulfilled. Right. We, we then kind of say, okay, well, these standards I'm going to feel safe at. Right. But I'm not going to enjoy Right, I don't. Feel, I, I don't feel valued. You know, I, I've, I've, you know, it's, it, it's one where, you know, there's an emptiness, a lack of value. You know, and I'm not getting any better. You know, there's slow disengagement happening. You know, and you want, you know, and that's almost like thinking about, you know, I'm going to lose weight by exercising. And you say, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start walking and exercise. But then you start focusing on what may happen to you out walking. You know, I may trip and sprain my ankle. I may be chased by a dog. I may get mugged. You know, and it's like, well, then, you know, those same people that come up with that, you say, well, then use a treadmill. Well, what if it kicks into a faster gear and throws me off the <laughs> treadmill? You know, they come up where, with all Where am I going to put my shirts? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they come up with all the same exact, you know, reasons for not doing it. And so, you know, instead, focus on being healthy. Focus on, you know, what you're going to get out of it. You know, lowering your blood pressure, pressure, lowering your weight. And so when we take a look at, you know, gaining, you know, gain greater responsibility for what you're going to do. And, you know, and each week we talk about exercises for the week and some things that we want to do. And I think one of the things is, you know, number one, identify, you know, key default behaviors. And you'll see them there around. Ask your spouse, ask your partner, what are some default behaviors I have? And then videotape yourself in some situations and see how you respond to that. And then consciously working on changing responses to stimuli because you will notice there's particular stimuli. You will go into default behaviors. But start writing it down when you start observing that and watching, observing others. You know, family members and stuff. What's their default behavior? With the holidays coming up, you will see default behaviors <laughs> in action, I guarantee you. So. Like ushering your relatives out to the car immediately <laughs> after dinner. Exactly. Exactly. So. Boy, this hour goes by so quickly. It does. It's amazing. Uh, you're listening to 21.6 The Net with Chuck Inman and Ron Hostry with the Adventures of Unstructured Time. Chuck, tell people how they can get a hold of you. Again, one of the best ways is go to adventurejerky.com. Uh, you can contact us. I mean, there's a contact place. If you have a specific request, you can contact us there. Take a look. We've got a store. We've got uh, all sorts of information on the website. So good place to start now we encourage you to do the exercise of taking a look at some of the default behaviors that are keeping you from going forward during this point of transition and next week we're going to be talking about how to transition to new habits that are going to jump start your journey to a wonderful new life and we want the next part of your life to be the best part of your life. Right. So thank you for being with us and look forward to seeing you next week. Remember, there's three ways to listen to the program on the website at 216thenet.com. Download the app from Google or Apple at 21.6thenet app or go to the website and look at the past show podcasts. Thank you for being with us and remember that it's Adventures of Unstructured Time.
21 6 the net is sponsored by and broadcast from sticker dude the creators of final chaos 815-322-2480 stickerdude.com the sticker dude team brings over 25 years of experience from the graphic marketing and sales industry advertising on vehicles and other services Full attention on the design, print, and installation is given to your project. From in-house full-time installers to our top-of-the-line printing and finishing room. Contact us today to learn what you need to look for and why before committing to making an investment in vehicle wraps. We're not your corner sign shop. Sticker Dude, call 815-322-2480. Twenty-one six The Net is brought to you in part by the generous support of our sponsor, Northern Illinois Windows, Inc. We are a commercial and residential window servicing company committed to providing the highest quality service at an affordable price. Our highly trained technicians will make every aspect of your window cleaning needs worry-free. Northern Illinois Windows, Inc. 815-385-6646. Experience, education, character, an inherent ability with numbers, an exceptional CPA. These are the reasons why business owners choose Eric Mason of Mobile Accounting for their bookkeeping, payroll, and tax services. Call Eric at Mobile Accounting, 224-321-6859. That's 224-321-6859. 21 Sixth Annette is supported by highly reputable sponsors like XTech Repair. Why do customers keep coming back to XTech Repair? Because of owners committed to building relationships. No one and done attitudes. Their 60 day guarantee on all repairs and IT service subscription plans that help business customers avoid the shock of a large unexpected repair bill. XTech addresses all your IT needs in one place. Web design, web hosting, social media support, custom built desktops with a two year parts and labor warranty, and just for fun, gaming machines with repair and service support. Visit online xtech.repair. That's X T E K dot R E P A I R. Visit in person at the corner of Pingree and 176 in Crystal Lake, Illinois, or call 815-516-8075. That's 815-516-8075. X-Tech Repair for IT done right the first time. 21 Sixth Annette is sponsored and supported in part by Natural Therapy Wellness Center. 815-385-8190 McHenryMassage.com How often do you take time for yourself? A massage can be a great way to pamper yourself, but it can also help alleviate or sometimes even cure those ailments that you deal with regularly. Contact us today to speak to one of our certified therapists about your needs. Natural Therapy Wellness Center 815 385-8190